March 15. Going past my birthplace brings a flood of tears that stream down my face. The memories of growing up with my brothers, my father's laughter, my faded three-year-old image of my mother, and the love of my stepmother hit me all at once. This place has always been my refuge when times were hard during my adult life. Betsy was the first person I told about our move. Suddenly, as if called up by my mind, she appears walking by my side. Betsy had been waiting for us at the end of her lane for one last goodbye. She hands me a chest that I recognize as my father's writing box. Inside are sheets of paper, two quill pens, a bottle of ink, my father's wax seal, and a bag of coins for mailing letters. Please write, is all she says before she gives me a tight hug and steps out of the way. Then the fog seals behind me, never to let me enter my past again. March 16. Dear Betsy, This morning I couldn't figure out why there was a rooster crowing directly in my ear. I thought I was dreaming until he did it again, and I realized my head was just inches away from the chicken's cage that's hooked to the back of the wagon. It took a few seconds after I opened my eyes and stared at the inside circle of the wagon top to realize where I was. I was cold, stiff from the boards and boxes I slept on, and I missed John's warmth. Until the weather warms up, and the girls and I are sleeping in the furnishings wagon. John and the boys are in the provisions wagon. Eventually, we will sleep on the ground under the tent we brought along, but it's too cold and muddy to do that yet, as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather keep the children in the wagons to keep them safe, anyway. Trying not to disturb the girls, who miraculously slept through our morning reveille, I opened the hole in the wagon canvas and slipped out onto the seat to put on my shoes. I didn't bother taking any clothes off last night since I was so cold. In the early dawn light, I saw shadows moving around the wagons as the adults tended to private matters and got ready to start the day. April 25. Belvard got hot and tired of walking beside the oxen today, and he hopped up on the wagon tongue and sat sideways on the tongue between the oxen's heels and the wagon wheels for a while. John and the boys have done this numerous times, and I didn't think anything of it at the time. An hour later, I hear George Ann scream from the wagon behind me. Running back, I didn't see her at first, but then I spied her face down underneath the wagon, her skirt pinned under a wheel. James Monroe's face was ashen as he tried to hold the oxen from moving the wagon farther. Crawling on my stomach underneath the wagon from behind, I tugged at her dress and prayed she wasn't run over. I was so frightened that I ripped the bunched layers of skirt in half. Luckily, just her dress was under the wagon, but she had a lump the size of an egg on the back of her head and scrapes on her face and arms. George Ann had tried to jump on the wagon tongue like Belvard had, but she tripped on her long skirt, fell between the wheels, and hit her head on the wagon box going under. 
Of course, James Monroe felt responsible for his little sister, since he was in charge of the wagon. I couldn't talk afterwards. They both learned a very serious lesson that didn't need an added lecture from me. May 4. Sometimes I read passages of my letters to you to the children. They like to help me think up my clothes in line. Tonight, during supper, James Monroe suggested the ending for today's letter. He caught Sarah making a depression in the mud and pouring her milk into it to let the dog lap up the evidence so she didn't have to drink it herself. I think that about sums up all our feelings. Tired of warm milk and mud, Deborah and children.